you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. We are in the process of journeying through uh, this book of Mark, which is kind of these pictures and snapshots of Jesus's life here on earth. And so if you're just joining us on this journey, I want to kind of give you uh, an update of why we chose this book, uh, because the truth is our lives, we're, we're sitting here today we're choosing to sit under the teaching of God's word and of Jesus's teaching today because a man lived 2000 years ago that's still having impact on our life today. And the book of Mark is the most uh, recent uh, account of Jesus's life. It was written about 35 years after his death and resurrection. And it's kind of this raw story, this raw truth of who Jesus was and what he was about. And we've learned about his person, who he was, uh, what he was here for, his intentions. And now we're kind of getting into understanding his power and his authority and how that all plays out. And last week we learned about Jesus, that he is not this man who showed up to gather authority to become this power-hungry, power-monger guy who, who held on to all power and authority and exercised it over everybody. He actually came to demonstrate and to give his authority away to those that chose to follow him. And he sent us out with his authority. And I want you to just remember how big of a deal that is, because he could have easily said, look, to follow me, you just have to give up everything. You don't, there's nothing that's yours anymore. It's just whatever I say you have to do. And many people approach God and Jesus that way. Like it's, you know, if I follow Jesus, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to end up somewhere I don't want to be doing something I don't want to do. You know, anything that's fun, it's off limits from here on out. And we just have this idea that that's the way life is. But that's not what Jesus says. He actually says, you come and follow me and you get access to everything. It's not that you have limited access. You have access to everything. And he lets us walk out in his authority and to go even out in front of him with his power and do things in his name. It's an incredible picture of the generosity and the grace of God. And today, as we turn over to chapter 7, we begin to see something new about Jesus that that maybe we don't quite understand. And the word I want to use to, to talk about Jesus this morning is a word called unorthodox. Now, you'd be like, well, that's a weird word to use for Jesus because we have whole religions built around the orthodox teachings of Jesus. There's this kind of orthodoxy, this kind of orthodoxy, like this whole system of thinking. And the word orthodox simply means this. It is a set of views, beliefs, and practices that conform to what is generally and traditionally accepted or approved. It's kind of these man-made boundaries that say, this is what you should believe. This is the tradition. This is the custom. This is the way you should walk. And so that's why it's called an orthodox thing. We, people have taken the life of Jesus and like boiled it down and say, these are the five things that you can't do without. And these are orthodox teachings of Jesus. And we've created whole religions around that. But Jesus actually came to confront this. This certainly wasn't who Jesus was. He did not fit the mold of his day. He was actually contrary. Now, he wasn't like the contrary guy who's just a jerk about everything, right? Have you ever met those people? I, I'm not going to say who his name because he might be watching on Facebook, but I have a family member who, like, if we start talking about something, I mean, he just always takes the other side. 
Like we, and all of a sudden, if I start agreeing with him, you know what he does? He changes his mind. I mean, we can be talking about Yankees and Red Sox. Like, you know, I'm pulling for the Yankees. They're like, oh, the Red Sox could blah, blah. And I'll be like, well, you know, the Red Sox have a pretty good team this year. He's like, yeah, but the Yankees could come right back. I mean, it's just, you can never, it's like chasing a cat. You can never catch it. You, he's always going to be on the opposite side of the argument. And that's, that's not Jesus. He didn't just come to be contrary, just to be a jerk about it, or just to be different. Chase and Jamal and I often go to these film festivals with uh, doing some work that we do. And sometimes we go to screen these movies. And there's these movies that it seems like all they do is they take what the cultural norm is and do the exact opposite. And like the whole movie is just an, an opposite take on everything that's normal or accepted. And you walk out of there going, I don't know what that movie was about. It certainly wasn't very good, but it's not normal. It's odd. It's strange. And again, that's not what Jesus was. He didn't just come to do something different, just to be different. He actually came and was different for a purpose. He did not conform to, to what was natural and what was going on in that day. And he wants us, as we look at this, to not fall trapped to that as well. For us to not get engaged in just saying, well, that's the way it's always been. So I guess that's the way we have to do it. So what I want us to look at today is, is this chapter 7. Jesus has just come off of feeding 5,000 people, this miraculous miracle of multiplying bread and fish. Uh, he'd actually been healing people. It actually just, uh, the story of him walking on water out toward the disciples had just happened. He'd been having some amazing things. We, at this point, people around the whole region are talking about Jesus. It's a big deal. But there are also people who are really beginning to take notice of him, and it's the religious leaders of his day. And they had started to watch him and his followers intently. Now, they, here's why they were doing it. They were trying to figure out who exactly Jesus was and why people were so drawn to him. But even more than that, they were actually trying to figure out why was he not trying to fit into the religious mold of the day? Why was he not trying to join their club and carry out the traditions that had been developed for years? Why was Jesus being contrary? And we're going to look at that in starting in Mark 7, verses 1 through 5. If you've got your Bibles, look there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Let's read 1 through 5. And it says this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, and some of the scribes who, have been, who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, let me give you a little context and background on this, because if you read this story without context, you get this idea that Jesus and his followers are just a bunch of dirty slobs, right? I mean, like, why would they not wash their hands? Like, it's, they're out all day, you come in, like, you know, I, I grew up, I had to wash my hands. We could not sit down at the table. The question my mom always asked before we ate, have you washed your hands? And then I would head over to the kitchen sink, and she would say, nope, you don't wash your hands at the kitchen sink. That's not what that, I had to go, like, to the bathroom to wash my hands because we might get the kitchen sink dirty because food was prepared. It was all these crazy rules, but we had to wash our hands before every meal. This, if we read this, we think that maybe Jesus had no personal hygiene or care, but that's not what it was. They're not middle school boys. I, I used to, 
do youth camps, and we would take these middle school guys on youth camps, and by about Wednesday, we had to force them into the shower. I mean, the smell, the odor was just overwhelming, and it wasn't just like the bad body odor. They just thought putting on a little cologne would cover it, and so you had body odor and axe mixed together, like that's the typical middle school boy smell, and they would come into a room, and you're like, good God, like, we've got to do something, group shower, get out, go now, and that, that's not what this is, it was not, uh, they're saying, you know, Jesus, when you and your disciples show up, like the room, it's just a little, that's not what this was about, you see, what they, Jesus didn't do, it's not that he didn't wash his hands, he didn't do the ceremonial cleaning that the religious leaders had created as, tradi- as a tradition that had now become a normal part of life for the Jewish people. These were man-made traditions that Jesus didn't follow. Basically what they had done is imagine every day before you eat, that you just didn't have to wash your hands, but you had to scrub your hands and disinfect your hands every time you eat like a doctor does before surgery. I mean, that's what they're talking about, this ritual purification cleansing that had to happen. If you go back and look in the Old Testament where this came from, there are ritual ceremonial cleanings that the priest would take part in during certain festivals and rituals. And they did that not to really just be clean. That was part of it. But even more so, it was to actually demonstrate the cleansing power and the cleansing nature of the sacrifice before God that showed that we were being cleaned as people as we sacrificed before God. It was a demonstration of God's forgiving and cleansing nature. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken this ceremonial, symbolic act and made it the norm and created an unnecessary burden out of something that God originally designed as a unique picture of his hope for mankind. The truth is that we do that in our churches today. We still elevate sometimes the practice of religion without worrying about being in the presence of God. We elevate just, you know, if you just come to church, that's all you got to do. If you just give, if you just serve occasionally, if you do these things, here's the ritual you have to follow. I served at a church one time that, man, they would never take a Sunday off. Like, not like no Sunday night, anything like, you know, if it was Sunday night of Easter and you wanted to be where you fit, nope, we got to have church. And we had a meeting about this one time, and I brought up the idea of uh, not having church one Easter Sunday night so that people could be with families and stuff like that. And this guy basically said, nope, Satan doesn't take a day off. We don't need to take a day off. And I was like, well, maybe that's why he's Satan, because he doesn't take a day off. Like, it's just this ritual of, like, what we have to do. We, I was like, if we got to meet, every, why don't we meet morning, noon, and night of every day? Like, it, let's take it to that extreme. And that's what the religious leaders had done. They had taken this practice to the extreme. And this is what brings us to the real question the religious leaders were asking that day. They weren't re- really worried about Jesus' cleanliness. They really wanted to know why he didn't respect their traditions and their customs. Look back at verse 5 and see what their question is. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders and eat with defiled hands? And what Jesus does in the next few verses, it gives them an answer and multiple reasons why he chose, doesn't, why he chose not to do this. He answers them very clearly. And instead, he walks in the ways he says, I would choose to walk in the ways of God of how he originally called us to live instead of elevating the ways of man. So let's look this morning at this question. Why didn't Jesus observe these customs and traditions, and why can we learn from it? 
because I want you to see this morning. One, Jesus doesn't conform to things. It's just that he said, hey, I just don't do this. He actually confronted them. He's pushed back on them, which is the last thing the religious leaders wanted. Because the religious leaders of that day knew that like the practices that they put in place, they were really meaningless. They weren't doing anything, but it was a system that they had to create a following. It was a way for them to create a need for their services. It was a way for them to create an environment of obligation and guilt that is the fuel of almost every religious system in history. And this is why Jesus didn't just shrug this off and act like it's not a big deal. He actually works against and pushes this back because this is working against the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at three ways that he does this this morning found in the following verses. Mark 7, 6 through 8 says this. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's a great way to answer this question. Like, let me just like, you remember that part in Isaiah? He's talking about you guys. And he says, this people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Why did Jesus push back on these customs? I think first is this, because traditions and customs are often about lip service instead of heart submission. It's just about saying certain things versus actually submitting your heart to God. Jesus didn't hold back here in his first answer. He calls these men hypocrites, just playing the part. He says, you're just wearing a mask. He knows their true motives and what's in their heart. There are men, these were men who knew what to say and knew when to say it. They knew how to sound important and knowledgeable. They knew how to use words and phrases on their lips to make them seem like they are passionate about God and his kingdom. But Jesus reveals their true heart and their true intentions. What they had done was create a set of rules Rules that they had determined, if you do this, you're clean. If you don't do this, you're not clean. If you do this, you're in. If you don't do this, you're out. If you don't wash your hands a certain way, then guess what? You can't really love God. And that's what it boils down to. And it sounds so insane to us today that if you don't wash your hands a certain way, then you don't love God. And I wish this were past us today in our Christian culture, but it is a major struggle for us. We are full of people who do nothing but give lip service to God, who never submit their hearts. They know the right words to say. They know the right things to speak out against. They know the right things to speak for. They know the right people to vote for and political stances to take. They know how to show up at church. They know how to look, act, and speak a certain way, but their hearts are far from God. This isn't, there's no submission in their heart. Here's what it is. It is simply an ability to conform to the necessary customs and traditions so that other people in their religious club think that they are righteous and observant. And I pray that we as a church never get that way. That we don't have a set of rules pinned on that door or downstairs that like you have to fit this mold, you have to do these do's and don'ts before you can come in. Because that's not the way Jesus lived. Jesus opened the door to all those that were far from him, those that rejected him, those that weren't sure about who he was, those who had questions, those who wanted to observe and figure out. He opened the door to all. He did not set limitations on what you could do. I mean, we used to take the kids to Disney World all the time. And I remember they, they would enjoy going to Disney. But when they were younger age, if you've ever been to any of these amusement parks, there's a thing, you must be this tall to ride this ride, Right? And I remember there was a ride, I think it was the Rock and Roller Coaster or something, I don't remember what it was, but Natalie was like just a couple of inches too short. And it was like she couldn't 
get in. Like she tried to tiptoe, and they're like, no, 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 you can't do it. But they gave us that day a, a slip of paper that was like, next time you come back, if you're tall enough, you get to go to the front of the line. And I was like, that's cool. I was like, we're never going to remember this paper. Then I remember the next trip we had, Natalie was like, where's that paper? I want to get in. Like, I'm going to get past. I'm going to get to the front of the line. And we kind of create religions that way as well. We're like, you know, you have to be this, you have to do this much to feel like you're a part of the family. And if you're not, go away. And when you get those things settled, come back, and then we'll let you in. We'll introduce you back in to our faith family. And that's not what Jesus did. And this is why he pushed back so hard on this. Why did he? Because this was a big deal to Jesus because he knew this. It's easier to actually follow the customs and traditions of man than it is to actually follow the true commands of God. It's actually easier for us to do that. Think about it. As tedious as it might be, it's, is it easier to ceremonially wash your hands before every meal or to actually work to keep your heart clean from bitterness and envy? Is it easier to recite verses about the love of God or to actually love your neighbor as yourself? Is it easier to attend a service or to serve those who persecute you? You see, it's often easier to follow the simple commands, customs, and rituals of man than it is to follow the true commands of God. And Jesus knew this. As long as we equated our commitment to the concepts and the commands of man and not to God, we would be missing out on what he wanted for our lives. We would be missing out on the true joy and peace that he wanted us to experience. Let me ask you a question. Where do you struggle with this? Where is it in your faith journey that you find it easier to give just lip service to following Jesus than actually surrendering your heart? Washing our hands isn't a bad thing, but making it a pathway that says this is how we connect to God, that's when it becomes wrong. Jesus wants us to stop spending time worrying about others living up to man-made religious customs and instead start letting our hearts be molded and shaped by his grace, hope, and love. That's how he pushed back first. But then he doesn't stop there. Look at Mark 7, 9 through 13, and it says this. And then he said to them, he keeps going on, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God then you can no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Now, let me give you a little background on this because this thing, if you're just reading this, this doesn't make sense. Like, what does Corbin mean? What is he talking about here? I mean, you're going to lose respect. If you, if you had any respect for the religious leaders up to this point, you're going to lose it all right here because here's what they had developed. They had developed this scheme to overcome this command of God that said, honor your father and mother. In their culture, and as it should be in our culture today, part of honoring your father and mother was taking care of them as they aged. And basically, as they lost their ability to make a wage and take care of themselves, it became the ability and the, the responsibility of the children to share their finances and their resources with their parents. Whatever they had became the parents. It was almost like a reverse inheritance, in a sense. And so what these religious leaders had done is they would say, well, you know, if I give something to God, it's not really on my books anymore. And so what they would do is they would make a donation, what they called Corbin, an offering to God. They would basically donate their property and all of their holdings and all of their, 
their resources to the church. But they really wouldn't give it up. They would just get this slip of paper that says it was donated, and the church would say, well, you can just keep using it. But it wasn't on their books anymore. So it was they had no obligation then to use those resources to take care of their own father and mother. And they would put them out. A despicable practice. But they had warped this command and created a system to where they could get around a command of God by acting like they were still following God's command. It was a despicable, distorted practice. And this is why, again, Jesus pushed back because eventually we will place more importance on our traditions than we do truth. Eventually, traditions will become elevated and truth will become diminished. Religious traditions and customs usually start from a point of wanting to maintain or remember something great about God. They don't typically start from a point of of evil. They usually start from a point of righteousness and hope. But many times traditions and customs take on a life of their own and they grow and take root at deeper levels in our soul than even the truth of God. Traditions, while they may have started as a reflection of truth, are not truth themselves. Let me give you an example. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins one to another. It's a command of God. Confess your sins one to another. It's designed to be demonstrated in a faith-family relationship where we're holding one another accountable and I'm saying, this is what I'm struggling with and you share with me and we hold one another up. That's the way it was designed to be. But, but they turned that command into a tradition and it became the tradition of confession. Like you must come to a priest to confess your sins. And that, in turn, grew into a practice of indulgences where you could go to a priest, confess your sins, and you could actually give an offering to be able to commit a few more sins that were already already covered. Like, you know, you give enough to the church, you make this offering, you get a few more indulgences. You can go out Friday and Saturday night this week, do what you want, and then you don't have to come back for confession. It's It's a distorted practice. Right? And that's where tradition got distorted and it became this practice that was far from what God intended. History of religion is filled with these examples. This shows up in our Christian culture today as much as it is in Jesus' time or in any other time. This is why we have denominations and sects within the Christian church. They're usually derived by a commitment or lack of commitment to certain customs or traditions. It could be how people view baptism, communion, how we pray, who can be in leadership, worship styles of music, all of this kind of stuff. Back in February, I was at a conference of pastors, and we got to talking about baptism. And they were somebody was talking about how they do baptism and things like that. And I, I started to share kind of how we do it. I was like, you know, sometimes we have to, we meet in a school, so we have to set up a baptistry in our office. We, we've done it out, you know, outside. Uh, we've done it a lot of different ways. I said, I've even offered to, like, come and baptize people in their t- bathtub in their apartment, you know, with family. And pe- this one guy looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me. He was like, you do it outside of the church building? And I was like, yeah. Like, I, mean, like, I remember there's a story in the Bible, like, Philip baptizing this Ethiopian, like, along the road. Like, I don't feel like I'm that far off. And, uh, and I, I said, actually, I invite other people. Like, if somebody helped lead that person into their faith journey. Like, I invite them to be a part of the baptism service. It's like, what, you don't, you're not the only one who baptizes? And I was like, no, I, why, why do I have to be the only, like, that? there's nothing scriptural about, and we got all this, and he was like, I'm not sure if your baptisms are valid. 
And I'm like, well, you know, I don't really care what you think. But, but I was, and then I, I said, let me just go back a little bit because like where we are, none of us believe in here like baptism is actually what gets you into heaven, right? Like gets you, oh, no, no, no. But it's got to be done a certain way. And I was like, you're not making, and I was just like, at that point, I'm like, I'm done. I'm changing seats. I'm not sitting beside this guy anymore. We're just not compatible. But that was just a reflection of like, oh my gosh, a simple thing. And all of a sudden we're heading in two different directions because of customs and traditions. Why did Jesus push back on this? Because he knows that we tend to use customs and traditions to bend and shape things to fit our agendas and bring benefit to us and often exclude others. We'll bend them and shape them. They become our tools for saying, this is how you connect with God. And if you don't do this, you're out. Traditions and customs more often than not separate us from each other rather than draw us together. And that's what, not what Jesus was about. Again, it's not wrong to have traditions and customs. But when we are unwilling to talk, cooperate, or connect our lives with people because they don't hold the same traditions as us, we're actually working against the kingdom of God, not working for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus didn't wash his hands and ceremonially because he didn't like the tradition. He did it because he knew it was a tool being used to separate people. That They would look at it and go, you didn't do it? You must not love God. You're out. It was a label that people were using to put on each other. And Jesus was about removing labels, not adding labels. Where do you struggle with this? Where, where have you created lines of distinction that you're unwilling to cross because they don't line up with your traditions and customs? Washing, washing our hands isn't bad, but when you stop engaging with people who don't wash their hands the same way that you do, that's wrong. Jesus wants us to stop elevating our own customs and traditions and instead elevate hit the truth that he teaches the last thing I want to close with is this. Mark seven fourteen through 23 is the last way that Jesus pushes back on why and answers why he doesn't follow these customs. And he said this. Then he called the people to him again. So that religious leaders are still there. Everybody's still there. And he says, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that may be going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And we had entered the house and let the people in his and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled? And then he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. This is something hard to take. And, and here's what he's pushing back. He's saying, look, here's why I don't elevate customs. It's because they can cause us to be more concerned about cultural defilement instead of personal deficiencies. We start doing this. We, we start saying, you know what? I, I'm really a good person. It's all these bad influences around me that are causing me to sin. It's causing me to stumble. And if I just get rid of this person, if I just get rid of this thing in my life, if I just stay out of this arena in my life, then, then my natural goodness will show up. If I keep things from coming in, then bad things won't come out. And Jesus was like, guys, that's not the case. Actually, what comes out of you is coming from your heart. 
the sinful behaviors that are coming out of you, the, the shortcomings in your life, the failures that you keep dealing with, the attitudes that keep showing up, it's not because of the cultural influences. At the heart of it is your corrupt heart. It's a broken spirit that we have to deal with. This is hard for us to take. It's hard for me to take. We prefer to think of ourselves as these good people and that my sin is not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And I end up spending time trying to avoid become contaminated by the things of this world and I stopped examining my true damaged and broken nature of my heart and my soul. We think we can clean ourselves by avoiding bad things or bad people while we are avoiding being honest with ourselves about our personal sins and deficiencies. Why did Jesus push back on this? Because it's easier to try to avoid cultural contamination than it is to deal with our own sinful heart, to be open, to be vulnerable. True transformation will only come in our lives when we allow God to examine our hearts, purify our hearts, renew our hearts, not when we just avoid sin. Jesus doesn't say, walk through this world with a spiritual hazmat suit on, just so you don't get contaminated. The goal of your life is to remain uncontaminated. That's not what he says. He's like, deal with what's on the inside, so that when you go out into the world, you're not avoiding being defiled and contaminated. You're actually bringing light and joy and hope into the world. That's why he pushed back on this custom. That's why he pushed back on this tradition. Because it was about... Not letting outside forces defile instead of you and going and being an influence for him. One of my favorite passages of scripture deals with this. It's a time in David's life when he was overcoming sin. And it's found in, found in Psalms 51. And it says this. Psalms 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and hold me with a willing spirit. David was caught in a massive sin, in a massive cover-up. He had slept with a neighbor's wife, gotten her pregnant, and then caused him to go and be killed in battle. Major, major sin. And David could have said, well, you know, it was culture's fault. It was this fault or that fault. But instead, when he was approached with a sin, he said, is my heart... My heart was what is broken. My heart is what needs cleaned. And this is what traditions keep us from doing, is being vulnerable to God and exposing our hearts. Would you be vulnerable today? My question for you today is this. What religious customs are keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God in your life? What religious customs are keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God in your life? Are you just giving lip service to God and to the faith? Just making sure you say the right things at the right time instead of actually submitting your heart to the one who created and formed us? Are you elevating the customs of man over the truths of God? Do you find satisfaction in being uh, following a checklist, do's and don'ts, versus allowing the truth of God to be planted in your heart and bringing a harvest that impacts your life and others? Are you hiding behind an adherence to customs and an avoidance of corruption so that you don't have to look at your own heart and your own brokenness? You're trying to avoid culture instead of dealing with the pollution of sin in your own heart? I want you to hear this morning. 
Jesus, just as he was relentlessly pushing back on these customs, Jesus is relentlessly pushing back on anything that keeps you and him apart. Anything, even religious customs and traditions. Would you allow the relentless pursuit of Christ to find its way into your heart and life today? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we have a moment of prayer and response, this is one of those teachings that bring us, I think, to a point that we have to stop and think about for a moment and try to respond to. Because I, I know as I was preparing this, and maybe as you were hearing this, there were things in my life that just got brought up. Times I try to put on a facade and act a certain way instead of actually being honest and vulnerable. My question for you this morning is, would you open up your heart? And as much as Jesus has been pursuing you, do you simply, as you open your heart, take one step toward him and say, God, here's my heart, open, vulnerable. I strip away the traditions, the customs. I strip away the man-made list, the do's and the don'ts. expectations of other people, my avoidance of evil things, and I pursue you. I come to you. Would you have a meeting of hearts this morning with you and Jesus? Wherever you are, maybe you're sitting in this room and this is the first time you even heard anything like this. You don't even understand fully who Jesus is and why has any impact in your life today, would you just simply, in a step of faith, open your heart and say, if you're there, can I feel your presence this morning? Maybe you've been around church and religion your whole life, and this morning you've realized it's been so much more about customs and traditions than it is vulnerability and openness to Jesus. And the stripping away of those walls is going to be a difficult task, but it starts with a simple step. And you say, Jesus, I come to you this morning. As you have come to me, I open my heart to you. God, we present ourselves to you today. God, you are holy. You are true. God, you are love. And that love was demonstrated through the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. God, as we ponder his teachings and his word today, would you allow it to penetrate into our heart, to get past the barriers, the traditions, the customs, the obstacles that we have placed between us and you? Would you let that be buried deeply into our hearts and souls? And help us today not to walk out of here not as people committed to customs and traditions, but people that are committed to walking with you in vulnerability and in truth.